Hello everyone, welcome back to the Ulster Rugby Roundup, our first podcast of 2022. Alongside me, Gareth Hanna, Jonathan Bradley. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, how are you? I envisage this podcast would begin, Jonathan, with you giving us a little rendition of Taylor Swift's and feeling 22 to mark the new year. So, just going ahead there. Mate, it's been a long time since I felt 22, I can tell you that. <laughs> Richard, are you going to sing for us? Uh May well be my birthday, and I am 22, but uh, no, uh, unlike the snow leopard on the mask singer, uh, I can't sing. <laughs> well, this has been an immediate letdown to start the new, new year. That was, of course, the voice of uh, Richard Mullion joining us on his 22nd birthday. Happy birthday to you, Richard. Thank you, gentlemen. Glad that we're bringing you in on your birthday, but uh, we didn't know it was your birthday when we asked you no. to do this. And uh, As I said, what, what better way to spend your birthday than with family and good friends, this is, even if it is exactly. virtually. <laughs> exactly, exactly. From uh, sunnier climes, as always. <laughs> yes, as always. <laughs> So today, obviously, we've got no rugby to look back on. We had envisaged this would be a bumper episode to discuss, I reckon, of course, wins over Leinster and Connacht. But of course, that not the case. Both games called off. We do have some contracts to discuss uh, a new signing in prospect and look ahead to, fingers crossed, a game this weekend against Munster. But uh, we'll not say too much um, by way of jinxing that one. Jonathan, you were talking to Dan McFarland at the press conference yesterday, and he does seem a little more optimistic that that game could actually go ahead this time. Yeah, for sure. He said they were much more confident than they were this time last week. Now, bearing in mind that the game last week was called off on Wednesday, but it looked fairly certain on Tuesday, I think, that it was going to go anyway. So a week ago, they were already pretty aware that the Leinster game wasn't going to happen anyway. So to be more confident than they were last week doesn't mean the game's uh, definitely going to go ahead, but it does mean that um, it's not already looking like it's uh, like it's <laughs> yeah. a goner. So tempered optimism, I would say, is the way, uh, is yeah. the way to describe it. Obviously, they're waiting for the, uh, for the PCR test results as we record this on... Uh, on Tuesday morning, the presser was uh, was Wednesday evening, so Monday. But yeah, um, you uh, you haven't booked your hotel then uh, yet, is what you're saying. I haven't yet. See, I in possession of this non-COVID cough. I don't think I can actually go anyway oh, because you okay. can't go if you have any symptoms. Even though, so I've had a negative PCR test, but if you have any symptoms, it says that you can't go. So I don't actually think that well, I can you're, go. You're banished. Um, Just right. So the good people of Limerick will have to do without me for another year. A real does this mean that if you're, does this mean if you're driving down the road and sneeze, you have to stop and turn back? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's yeah. on your own conscience, Richard. On your own conscience. I love that we were chatting here for uh, a few minutes before the podcast, but literally as we began, Jonathan felt that was the proper time to pop a week off sweet in the mouth. Very professional as always. Well, I realised that I've been talking so much before we did the podcast that I wasted my good voice. So by the time we actually came to hit record, I realised I was in trouble. So I had to I reached for the fisherman's friends. <laughs> so, Richard, the new contracts then, probably the highlight in terms of the, the build-up that it had had and the discussion that it had earlier in the season was John Cooney's decision to stay at Ulster. We don't know how long he's made that decision for because we weren't told just how long his new contract or Will Addison's new contracts were for. But nonetheless, this is news that will be very, very welcome and was a, a really nice belated Christmas present for all the Ulster fans. It was, I suppose, 
as I had said before we, we actually started recording, it was like the 12 days of Christmas rolled into a couple of a couple of days shortened version when Ulster reeled off all their all their new contracts. And it, it's great to see so many players um, committing to the province once again. And as you say, I was waiting and waiting and waiting to see. There's no John Cooney mentioned yet. And eventually the last press release came through and there it was John Cooney's in. As you say, we don't know how long for, we can probably guess safely that it's basically a year extension with maybe an option after that to stay on again. But I think it's given the discussions that we've had more than once on, on this podcast, um, he's the one we've been wondering what's going to happen. What will the RFU do? What will Ulster do? John Cooney, He's staying on. I think the significant factor before that was Nathan Doak has signed for four years. So there's a long-term commitment for Nathan Doak and, and he's seen as John Cooney's successor, if you like. So yeah. he'll get another year under the wing of Mr. Cooney, which will obviously benefit him. I think it's really good, but I think it's it's very important that Ulster have Cooney there. And I think it shows John Cooney's commitment to Ulster as well and um, how he thinks about the or what he thinks about the club as well, that he wanted to commit. Because I'm sure he could have been really tempted by some good offers um, across the shop from me in, uh, in France or even further up the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Johnny, do we know just how close he came to leaving? There are obviously a lot of talk about France. Was there anything concrete in that, do we know, and, and how close it came? Well, the most persistent team that I was hearing was Bordeaux. You're obviously going well and would have been, uh, I suppose, an attractive life option, if you like, um, as a nice uh, nice place to live as well as to, uh, as to play your rugby, I suppose. But what Rick says there, I think, is the most important point of this because it is his commitment to Ulster. It's not his commitment to Irish rugby. The reason that yeah. the provinces lose so few players is not because they pay amazingly well. It's because, one you can't play for Ireland if you're outside of the provinces and two, also the player management sort of extends players' careers a bit. But the green jersey is the primary thing, but John Cooney has already spoken of the fact that that's not really part of his thinking anymore. So I suppose him choosing to stay, choosing to uh, spur an interest from France, it does speak volumes about his commitment to to Ulster rugby and um, to the life that he has here rather than on the whole as... To Irish rugby. Are you surprised? Either of you surprised in any way? I mean, like, just in terms of you speak about how Bordeaux would be a nice life move. I must say, I'm a little bit surprised because I just sort of think if I was John Cooney and I was given this offer to go and live and play in Bordeaux for a year or two, you might think, hmm, that'd be nice. But I think it's interesting as part of a wider discussion about how few Irish players do leave and, like, like Ulster haven't really lost an Irish player that they wanted to keep in more than ten years. Really, I, I'm yeah. I might be forgetting somebody, but um, if you think back to that era of Best Wilson Bow, like beyond that, the players Ulster have lost that they would have liked to keep. The likes of Piatai Katsia, they've been their NIQs. So, in a way, to answer your question, I think it's very difficult for us to put ourselves in that position because there is obviously a reason why so few players leave. Yeah. As I've alluded to, a lot of it is tied to the idea of playing test rugby. But if you think about the number of players playing in the provinces who wouldn't have massive test ambitions anyway, you know, there's a good chunk of players in Ireland playing that are not going to win 
25 caps they might win one or two they might win none but you know those guys you don't see them departing either yeah whereas yourself and myself would be looking at it being like well if somebody offered me 12 months well-paid work in france i'd probably not finish the sentence i was writing (laughs) let alone uh see out the season but um it's a it's a different mindset but am i surprised one for that reason of being envious of the opportunity yes i'm surprised and two I'm surprised because of how persistent the uh, rumours about Bordeaux were because obviously in this line of work you hear an awful lot of rumours but the the ones that you keep hearing and keep hearing and keep hearing are normally the ones where it's there's no smoke without fire sort of thing. Yeah, I was a bit surprised that John maybe didn't didn't see this as an opportunity to, to go out to France. And I mean, as Jonathan alluded to, Bordeaux's a lovely place. I've been to it a couple of times and um, they are a club on the up very much in in, in in top 14 rugby and um, John probably doesn't have maybe the same ties with family commitments and things that would have held him but when you're making a decision to move away there are other things which which are factored into it and maybe can get the dog a passport it could possibly it could possibly be hit for the dog it would be a deal breaker to be fair <laughs> it would yeah to be fair <laughs> well not not in my case but uh, <laughs> uh, but that's neither here there in case the USPCA are on to me um, but I think I was surprised, given given the way he's been treated by Ireland, um, and as Johnny said, there players in the provinces want to play for Ireland, no matter how many caps they may, may they may get, even to get one green jersey is sometimes enough to to hang to hang on the wall. So I was a wee bit surprised that he decided to stay. Now, very glad that he did because I think he is a he's a big integral part within Ulster Rugby and the organisation. Yeah. That's the thing because we shouldn't sort of um, conflate. Us being surprised that he's staying to uh, him staying being anything other than a massive, massive positive for Ulster because the emergence of Nathan Duke, I think this season has and when Cooney has come back in, has really shown the value of having two very good scrum halves. I'd almost put it right up there with um, the front row in terms of the requirement to have an impact replacement in that position because... You know, also you can have two really good 12s as an example, but they're both those 12s aren't going to see a lot of minutes because you're not going to have a need to take Stuart McCluskey out of things. Obviously, he's injured at the minute, but like Stuart McCluskey is going to play a huge percentage of the um, minutes in a game that he starts. But you look at that Leinster game away as the perfect example of the template that Ulster can work towards now of having one really, really good scrum half play for an hour and then having another really good scrum half come on and play the last 20 minutes. Like, it's not dissimilar to the situation that Cooney actually found himself stuck behind in Leinster when he was coming through of um, Owen Redden and Isaac Boss. But the way the game's gone now and the increasing importance placed upon replacements, like, I think it's it's a massive, massive thing for Ulster because... um, you know, obviously, when there was talk of Cooney leaving, there was rumours of maybe like targeting an NIQ. I think uh, Brad Weber was a name that um, came up a few times. But like to be able to keep Cooney and have Duke coming through is a luxury that not an awful yeah. lot of teams are going to have. And it just it works as well. Fortunately, probably just more than anything that the age profiles fit so well in terms of when that balance will tip from Cooney into Duke. It just seems to. It seems like it. It's pretty perfect um, as to what age they are and and when when Duke will be be rising up to take that uh, the first choice place. Success is, planning um, in action, Garth. 
But does this go right back to whenever Nathan Duke was conceived and did they look at <laughs> John John Cooney's age and fantastic planning by the Duke family? It really is phenomenal. Absolutely. I'm moving on from that. <laughs> Jonathan mentioned another name there, Stuart McCuskey, and um, he is he's agreed a three. An, extent, an extended three-year deal. And if we're talking about the Irish connection to the players, there's Stuart, who we would make an argument that he should really be in that match day 23 or at least be involved more with Ireland. He only has a handful of caps and he has committed again to three years. So I think that reflects more on what Ulster offers than what he can get further down the line. Now, he's he's got the shirt that he can hang on the wall, so I suppose he's got that one stage. But... Um, I think that's a significant one as well. Stuart McCluskey signing for three years was 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 a big uh, was another big plus. Because yeah. there's arguably not a bigger disparity in um, the importance of a player to a team and perhaps the perceived importance to a player to Irish rugby than there is with Stuart McCluskey because mm. Ireland are so blessed with centres and Robbie Henshaw is in the form of his life, but the impact on Ulster to have lost Jeremy McCluskey would have been catastrophic. Mm. And he's in that same bracket as Cooney as if they had have left, given the relative lack of international recognition in relation to their talent, you could have understood it from that regard. So for him to sign a three-year deal, I think that's the second three-year deal he signed in succession that will really cover his... Um, his peak years because you saw it like you saw it in that Northampton game when he went off like for me that was almost a bit of a turning point in that game because an awful lot of what they had done well was before that injury and then after he went off they almost sort of lost their shape a bit and looked a bit um, lacking in a focal point so obviously that's massive and the James Hume contract extension as well like you know um, I hope that he uh, I hope that he signed it basically as it was announced like I hope this wasn't one that he signed two or three months ago because he's probably cost himself some money if, uh, if <laughs> yeah. that was the case like uh, bringing his recent form to the negotiating table was a would have been a good place for him to be I, you wouldn't have expected him to ever leave like he's um, on the cusp of a very exciting time for him personally in terms of Ireland honours you think but um, obviously you'd still rather have uh, have the contract signed than not you know yeah absolutely I suppose we'll have to go through all the Instagram and Twitter accounts to see what rugby players are buying dogs. And that'll give you an indication of whether they're going to be committed to the province for, for a long-term period. Yeah, well, somebody's cover role is also filled with pictures of his dog. I'm not knocking John Kenny for this, but yeah. you could you could not avoid True. that man's dog on social media. So Quite right. My dog has his own Instagram page, but... Uh, no, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Uh, yes, another of those contracts that I wanted to discuss that was very interesting was Will Addison. Obviously, he's had so many injury issues and we don't know the length of this uh, contract either. So uh, presumably, Richard, would you follow on that same logic of maybe a year with the, with an option of another? And that probably, like he's only 29, so that doesn't reflect his age, but does that reflect Ulster being a little bit cautious uh, as regards his injury profile? I think that probably is right. I mean, it's it's probably a terrible thing to say, but maybe he's staying on a, on a pay-per-play basis type thing, you know. Um, I suppose it's a bit like Martial could say in a way, you know, we didn't really see him for two years because injuries and then all of a sudden he comes good. And yeah. I think it's Ireland. I think it's Ireland as well looking at it because I think they they do still see Will Addison as being the potential fullback 
choice. Um, and there's a World Cup coming up, so if Will could maybe get a wee bit of luck with the injury profile, you could see him there. And I think that's the reasoning behind him staying on. Um, it's tough. Um, I would say it probably is a, a one-year with another one-year option, as you alluded to there. But I think if we can get him fit, Ulster will thrive with him in the team. And we've seen what he can bring already in, in small glimpses. And you just wish that he gets a bit of luck and a bit of fortune somewhere along the line. Maybe 2022 will be his year when he does come back from what was a serious leg break. So obviously, like, it's a complete hypothetical because it never happens. And we always talk about how it never happens. But it's interesting to think about where Alisson would fit in now to Ulster's first choice backline. Like, Andrew Trimble was talking there over the Christmas period at a, a Premier Sports gig about the idea that this backline was better than the Ulster backline that won the league. And if you think about fitting Addison back in there, along with Balakun, Stockdale, Ethan McElroy, and at present, Mike Laurie, even though, again, he's been talking recently about um, playing more 10 than 15. It's, it's hard to pick what the first choice back three would be if everybody was fit, mm. as I say. Addison would make it in at full fitness, though, would he not? Like, he was, he was that good. Surely. Oh no! Like I think oh. that I think that he probably would for the spark that he brings. But it's like we're talking about Stuart McCluskey with Ireland. Like it's one thing saying he's good enough to be in the team, but who are you leaving out of the team if Addison's <laughs> yeah. in the team? I wouldn't believe it, McIlroy. Tell you that. Well, then you're leaving out one of Stockdale and Robert Ballacan. So this is the it's kind difficult. of it is difficult, Joel. It really. You is. know, you just you're throwing out these statements. Everybody would be in your team, but there's I only just a change information. Change of formation. That's what I do. <laughs> do we really need three front rowers? Like, is that really... <laughs> four, four, two? Player of every year we've been doing this podcast has been a back three player. I would love to have seen Gareth play a bit of rugby, to be honest. <laughs> it wouldn't have been very long. I think I'd have a worse injury profile than Will Addison. Just have been snapped in two within two minutes. John, I've uh, other... for that hair. I'll say that much. <laughs> I think. I think the other significant one that. And the, the plethora of, of sayings was Billy Burns as well for two years. Yeah. Um, you know, and you've mentioned Mike Larry there who, who who is keen to be playing out half. And and I suppose Billy was, we were a bit critical of, maybe not us, but people were being critical of Billy's performances recently. And then yet against Northampton, you saw you saw how good he can be. And I think that was the week before we had said, look, Billy will, Billy will turn the corner here. And um, I think he, well, we haven't had a chance to see if he's fully turned it yet, but he certainly had turned it against Northampton. Um, and I think him staying on for another two years is uh, is significant. And it gives him a wee bit more time to maybe look at developing Mike Larry as an option there and yeah. somebody further behind, because it is a position where you're kind of going... Two years from now, who will your likely out half be if, uh, if, if Billy's no longer there? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so there were plenty more of those contracts that we haven't uh, we haven't gone through yet. We've mentioned Cooney and Addison. We're not sure of the duration of theirs. Duke signed a, a four-year deal. There's McCluskey we've mentioned, Burns we've mentioned, and then the rest of them were uh, Hume, McElroy, Moore, Murphy, Matty Ray, Tom O'Toole, basically uh, the whole team, more or less, signing new contracts. Um, is, well, is there any... like we were speaking about the sort of prop situation, certainly the last time I was on the podcast anyway, um, before Christmas. Um, so like Marty Moore and Tom O'Toole are important deals to get signed as well. Um, yeah. Marty Moore probably for my money, one of the more underrated players in Ireland at the minute. Uh, well, no, sorry, not at the minute, over the last 
number of years really since he's since he's come back to us. He's been a hugely important player. And Tom O'Toole, you're you're almost looking at that as the same the same situation with the nines of having a hugely, hugely capable starter, but also a very promising younger player coming off the bench as well. Is there anybody left that is out of contract this summer, do we know, that has not yet signed on? Well, there's a f- like a few bigger ones. So you've got, say, Sean Reedy, um, as somebody who still plays a, a big role in the squad. You've got Craig Gilroy, who we actually, sorry, didn't mention in that course, um, yeah, back three mix, but he only signed a one-year contract last year and has been playing better and been more involved this year than he was last year, I think. Marcus Ray, who's uh, played a lot recently, we think he'll be in line for a new deal. And then there's obviously Bradley Roberts, who is out of contract and will not be signing a new deal. And um, then the loose heads as well, which is the uh, sort of position of uh, of intrigue, I suppose, over the next couple of months. What's crack with Bradley Roberts? Well, being well qualified, there's be absolutely no reason for either him to stay in Ireland or... Ulster to have their second choice hooker be in NIQ. You'll see him moving to a Welsh region, I would say. You'll yeah. hear hear something in the next couple of months that one of the Welsh regions will have snapped him up. I would expect so the plays well in Cardiff. That's all I'll say. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt about that. <laughs> um, is there anything to read into the fact that the, the other fellows you've named there have weren't announced in that whole spate of announcements over Christmas? Or like, is the jury still out? Or does it just mean that Ulster just like to string these things out and they're holding over a few to announce later in the year? Well, well, I think, I think they, they were 12. Of, uh, ran out of days for Rick's 12, to, or 12 yeah. days of Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying. They picked 12 to cover the 12 <laughs> days of Christmas. Ah, so. <laughs> uh, you know, Garth, there's, there's an awful lot of social media engagements that has to be taken into consideration <laughs> with these announcements. So um, all those players aren't going to leave, I'll put it that way. There's only sometimes you can tweet pictures of Dwayne Vermeulen. Turns out that was about 20 <laughs> in one day, but they're all done now. I, uh, I presume, too, that most of the players are signing these virtually, given the current situation with the with the COVID, you know, so... Um, a, di- a digital signature now, you, you don't yes, need to it. put pen to paper. <laughs> yeah, you can get rid of that, uh, that little adage in your reports. So <laughs> so there we are. That was all the new contracts that we've had, all 12 of them. So a new signing, obviously, was announced. Sean Raphael, Richard uh, assures me, is the correct pronunciation rather than Raffle, which, which sounds more like a sweet Saracen's Young Player of the Year for uh, last season. He's Irish qualified. He has a bizarre record for uh, most tackles in a game for Saracen's. That was 39 against Worcester in the Premiership semi-final 2019. So Ian Frizzell asks, uh, or Ian Frizzle, no, it's definitely Ian Frizzell, asks, what do you think <laughs> of the signing of Sean uh, Raphael? Is this another case of the RFU capturing an IQ player or do we genuinely need another back row and we'll just throw Stuart Martin's question in as well uh, because it's along the same lines could the signing of Sean be seen as one of the missing pieces of the jigsaw as Ulster have struggled to find a natural seven in recent times how will this impact the development of Marcus Ray who in recent weeks has shown himself to be a potential option there at number seven I think those are are all good points and those are all the bits that sort of sorry which um... no no you're all right those are all the elements that sort of play into the signing because basically if Dwayne Vermeulen is your eight, then Nick Timoney is your seven. So like, I wouldn't say this is a transformative signing by any means. So you are looking at 
you know, he's not he's not going to walk into your Champions Cup 15. It's worth remembering that Jordy Murphy was in very, very good form before, you know, at the end of last season, it was probably his best as he's played for Ulster and was another one of those players that signed a new deal. So he's still there. And then you've had Dave McCann, who's had a really good run of games this season. Marcus Ray, who's been sort of among the best players, really. That's no exaggeration to say in the month of December. Um, in big games, obviously, with the Champions Cup and the uh, Interpro with Leinster. And then you've got Ruben Carruthers, who has been captaining, uh, captaining the Ireland under-20s in their, in their warm-up games for, for the Six Nations, a player that uh, we really like the look of uh, when we saw him in that Wallace team with, uh, with Nathan Doak at schools level. So there are an awful lot of players there in that position at the minute. That's not always been the case. Um, and I remember we probably spent the better parts of eight months worth of podcasts debating what was going to happen to the back row in the, uh, in the absence of Marcel could see it. But um, see, now I've mentioned him unprompted now. Um, <laughs> so that's why it looks an interesting signing on paper. Now, Dan McFarlane was asked about this yesterday at the presser in, I suppose, basically in that exact context of, you know, do you actually need another back rower? And what he said was, to quote, we have some really good back rows. Sean has a point of difference. He's an excellent all-around player. Defensively, he excels. He's an excellent tackler. He has a tremendous work rate. He's a really good jackler of the ball. He's what you would describe as a real fetcher as a number seven. So, I mean, Dan's obviously been impressed with the variety of things that he can uh, that he can bring. And one of the questions did mention that idea of um, a genuine open side. Like I think Mark, the work that Marcus Ray has done in order to improve his work over the ball has been really noticeable. It'll be interesting to watch how that continues over the second half of the season. And Nick Timoney's been a good presence at the breakdown as well, certainly over the last year, but I think even more so even more so this season. So it's one of those positions where there is a high rate of attrition. Like there will, there will be injuries and the fact that the guy's Irish qualified obviously works massively in his favor. So it's the guy, you know, 23, I suppose he's still got, uh, we'll still have plenty of improving today. I would like, as I said at the start, I wouldn't expect him to come in and uh, start straight away or anything like that. No, and I think yeah. Johnny, you're, I mean, I think it was ourselves discussed one week about, I think whenever Gareth was on a sabbatical that we discussed the back row situation and we talked about them going to a 6-2 thing on the bench, um, 6-2 split on the bench, which he then did for the European Games and the number of players that they have there. I suppose one thing we can read into it is that there will be some jettison at the end of the season, um, maybe in the back row as well, to maybe allow for him. I suppose the argument is, can you have too little players or too many players? But certainly, as you mentioned there, his age profile and all, he... He is probably a good signing from that point of view. And if he's a special seven, then you can exactly see the reason why Pam was put to paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he wasn't the only player then to come in because Declan Moore has signed as well on a short-term contract just as a injury cover for the hooker position. Is that... A bit of a strange one. I mean, there's James McCormick's in the academy as a hooker. Like, what does that say about, would you not be a bit miffed if you're James McCormick? Well, just with it being a specialised position, I suppose you have to take every um, every caution that you're going to have enough players. Mm. And bearing in mind that we are 
still only a month detached from uh, from Eric O'Sullivan scrumming down at hooker and throwing into a line out at the end of a game against Ospreys. Um, due diligence and caution, I suppose, maybe the order of the day on that one. Fair. So Stuart Martin also asked, what can we read into the fact that Gareth Milosinovic made his debut for Saracens on Sunday? Of course, uh, it was just over Christmas that he went out uh, on a short-term deal to Saracens. And uh, in quotes, Stuart says he did a decent job. It's simply Is it simply a case that his face doesn't fit at Ulster where he was down at the bottom of the pecking order at tight head and loose head? Or is there more to it than that? I think there's like more. It's worth sort of noting like that Saracens... Did I think have three tight heads injured? So and he didn't start, I guess. So whenever he was coming on, he was essentially their fifth choice tight head. So he's probably higher up the Ulster pecking order than that. Yeah. But with the exception of um, the long term injury to Jack McGrath and then Marty Moore missed a week after an HIA, they've been relatively lucky on the injury front with the props. It, equally, like I these things aren't set in stone. Do you know what I mean? Like it gets potentially overlooked that Andy Warwick is probably Ulster's starting loose head now. Yeah. Like he's in the one jersey for the big games. That's the Leinster game going up against uh, Tag Furlong, going up against the big front rows of uh, Northampton and Claremont. And not 12 months ago, but 12 and a half months ago, where was Andy Warwick in the pecking order? You know, he was. Um, Behind Kyle McCall for that uh, for that game against Connacht, came off, played really well, and now is starting. So there is potential for movement there, you know. And um, if he goes over to Saracens for the two months, plays well, and comes back, gets a run of games, which is something that he hasn't had in years, basically because of that um, ACL injury when he whenever he arrived, it could be the kind of thing that's good for Ulster because you know. It's a it's a difficult environment to be in. Saracens, I, I didn't actually see the game, but just reading the reports, Saracens were uh, were fa- were fairly dominant and up front throughout, and he uh, made a big contribution when he came off the bench. So it could be something that's encouraging for Ulster down the line. Yeah, I think we keep forgetting that it was July 2019 when Milsanovic picked up the horrific injury, the ACL. So, and this is only a two month loan. So I think it's and there may be something tied in with the. The Sean Raphael signing as well, that maybe the loose connections with Mark McCall and Ulster, maybe look, can you help us out here a wee bit? And I don't I, I wouldn't read too much into it. And I still think when Losanovich signed, and I think I remember, not that I want to be arrogant or anything, but I think I remember I broke the story that he was signing for Ulster back at that time, probably the last story I broke about Ulster rugby signing somebody, the way things are nowadays. Um it, it was a big there was a big noise about it, and um it's just a pity that. Suppose like well, Addison, he hasn't had an opportunity really to show with Ulster um, as much. And I think, as Jonathan says, go over there for two months and he gets some game time and comes back in. And and it's there is still room for movement within the Ulster Ulster squad. And I also agree about Andy Warwick. I think if any young front row forward wants to look at somebody who goes out and does what he has to do on the pitch, Andy Warwick has it all over him. There's no question about it. And it's great to see. Uh, a born and bred Ulster man doing that. So Ulster will be back in action, all being well. Fingers crossed, saying nothing. Uh, touch wood on Saturday evening in Munster, 7.35 kickoff. That one's slated for on Saturday night. So 
Munster just off the back of a 10-8 loss at Connacht New Year's Day, but then they did have a, much like Ulster, a, a big European double. Their wins over Wasps and Cast. I know it's hard to really preview this game in any meaningful way, largely because we have absolutely no idea which Ulster players are going to be fit, COVID-free and available. Yeah, it's a tricky old one. Um, I have to say, having watched Munster in the two European games, very impressive. And just as Ulster were as well. Um, um, I suppose we were really, really keen to see an Ulster-Lanster contest over Christmas with um, two teams on form as well, but um, didn't get it. And and, and then Connacht turn up at the weekend and uh, do, do what Connacht do, um, rise to the occasion and uh, put in a really good performance. Although they also had decent performances in Europe as well. Um, I'm hoping the game goes ahead because I'm tired of watching having to watch Harlequins over the past couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> ring the Harlequins bell. <laughs> yeah, I have to ring the Harlequins bell there, you know. Um, but, um, you know, in some but ways... Harlequins and Marcel could see it were uh, a mention of Gareth's golf game away from... Uh, <laughs> bingo. For the Wolster rugby roundup bingo here. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's two um, shots deep at this stage. How's that third <laughs> shot just sitting with? You know, in some, in some respects, you, you want the game to go ahead, but... Given you don't know who's going to be playing, you're kind of wondering, is it best that this one's postponed as well and the two teams get a decent run of it later on in the season? When or, or if they get a better run of the season? But I suppose it does give other players the opportunity. And I suppose in the past, the festive fixtures were always kind of skewed a bit with team selections and whatnot. So it's, um, if, we're, if we really want a game of rugby, that Let's hope the two teams can get out there and, uh, yeah. and and produce something and stay safe and well in the meantime. Yeah. Do we know anything, Jonathan, as to what to expect from the Ulster lineup? I mean, Dan did say yesterday that they they could have played a game last week. Uh, but well, for both of the postponed games, they could physically have played, but it was just the league sort of called them off to stop the the spread of the of COVID. So yeah, so I thought that was actually interesting because in terms of the scale of the outbreak and the size of the outbreak. It wasn't that Ulster didn't have 23 fit and able bodies to play. Like the games were postponed because it was seen as the only way to um, curb the spread of the virus through the squad, obviously with the Omicron variant being so uh, so transmissible. You obviously have to take extra precautions when you're going away because you have to get there. Mm-hmm. Transport becomes an issue, things like that. But we are due a squad update on Tuesday, which will probably land whenever we finish this, if um, past history is anything to go by, which should give people more of an idea. In between recording and publishing, no doubt, as their timing is always impeccable in that uh, in that regard. So yes, fingers crossed, we'll know a little bit more in the, the not-too-distant future. Ulster are ahead in the table. Munster have lost a couple of league games this season at Connacht and at Ospreys as well, although they're... Uh, I think they've only played four home games, but they've won all four. Ulster haven't uh, traditionally been uh, overly gleeful visitors to to Toman Park. Richard, are you expecting that run to possibly continue? All things, all things given. If we can, if we can assume or presume or whatever way you want to look at it, if if Ulster go fully loaded, then I I I can see them. There's been enough in recent performances to merit them going there and. And certainly coming away with a win. I mean, they went to Dublin 
and got a win for the first time in how many years? I don't know what it was. I can't remember. But so, yes, with this Ulster side, if they're if they're near enough fully loaded, they could they could turn Munster over in their own backyard. I mean, I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to have been there when Adam Larkin kicked a penalty for them to win down there. So um, that's probably one of the one of those few occasions when I was in a, I think I was in Cork at that time. But yeah, no, I, I would be confident that Ulster could produce a performance. And you know what? We've seen weekend, maybe not weekend, but certainly Ulster teams, I mean, Darren Caves, captaincy the time that they won quite handsomely there. So, you know, when players get an opportunity, they sometimes rise to the occasion. And um, no, I, I would be confident that Ulster could 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 pull one off this time around. How important is it, Jonathan, is it, or Ulster at the stage where they can maybe afford a, a, a little slip? Or uh, is this, uh, uh, particularly going into the European games, they'll, they'll presumably be very keen to get some sort of momentum kick-started again? Well, it's very hard to know because it's very hard to get any sort of gauge on how everybody's tracking in the league. Yeah. Because so many teams have played so many varying degrees of games. So <laughs> on the one hand, I find it very hard to get a good grasp of what Monster are doing this year. Like they weren't they weren't good on Saturday. They were brilliant against Wasps. They were fairly laboured against Cast. They were going really well into that Ospreys game for um before the COVID outbreak um, that had them stuck in South Africa for a while. So, I mean, they've had a more disjointed season than anybody, really. Mm. Um, even though Ulster have had, um, had the last two games postponed. So, it's a very, very difficult game to have any sort of handle on yeah. until you get closer to it, I think. And even, and even after that, but I don't, you know, you're you're asking deals to have leeway. Like, I don't think it's make or break for them by any means. I think it's very, it would be very important to get a bit of a run out before the uh, before the trip to Northampton because the one thing you can't do is undo all the good work that you did last month going into Europe, given uh, the uncertainty around the format of that competition and how important the seating is going to be. So. Like I, I think you know, having already won in Leinster, they've got a bonus, if you like, from one of the games that you would have almost written off as an acceptable loss going into the season. There aren't that many for a team like Ulster, but uh, these are perhaps two of them. If you look at the fixture list, it's just, I guess, it feels a little bit murkier just because this is the away interpro, so this is mm. often the one that's almost seen as a punt, but it's being played without the two home ones this year. Yeah, so yeah, in some ways, an opportunity as regards those two postponed games. Then, a couple of questions the South Wales URSC, our, our friends over there, hello to you. They ask, as the URC have committed to postponements instead of bonus point wins, is the Six Nations window the perfect opportunity to revisit those two fixtures? In which case, an argument could be made that it benefits certain sides more than others. So, Richard, and what looks at, I think and almost certainty that that is when those two games will be played. Is that the perfect opportunity? The South Wales URSC ask for Ulster to turn the screw? Could it work? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any other possibility of getting the games played. I mean, you can't really see them bringing in two midweek fixtures later on in the season. Um, I suppose in hindsight, and I suppose it's very difficult for the URC or the United Rugby Championship, you look at the four weeks that were 
that were left lying over the November test window. And you kind of think, <laughs> maybe on hindsight, it wasn't a good idea to give give the, the, the competing teams four weeks off or three weeks, not four weeks off. Um, so the only other window is the Six Nations window. Um, you're also waiting to see what happens with the European postponements. Um, but yes, and I suppose you could argue that we're hopeful that Ulster maybe will have more representation in the green shirt during the Six Nations. But if you go back to the November test window, Ulster would actually be in a good good position um, as long as you didn't have the likes of John Cooney injured or something like that there. They would probably be quite strong and would be well tipped. So it would be it would be advantageous to Ulster if the games were played then, I believe. Mm. Um, and it's unfortunate. Um, but that's the way it goes. And I suppose... It will, it will impact on all the Celtic nations um, because of the Six, Six Nations being on. Um, but yes, it would be a, I think it would be a, an advantage to Ulster to have those games cancelled in there. And that is what's going to happen, isn't it, Philip? Totten asks, with sometimes already three games behind, and more postponements likely, limited space for rescheduling the games. Is it now inevitable? that we see another reformat of the league like last year? And if so, what could that look like? That's probably the, the million million pound question. Do we think that is inevitable at this stage? You'd like to think not because like the Rainbow Cup was a shambles and <laughs> How dare you? Was, was bad for the image of the league, irrespective of whether there was any other option yeah. in order to unlock the... Uh, South African participation cash. It was terrible for the league, but it would be worse this time around because at least last year you could say, well, we're going to end up with the best team in the uh, northern section of this league, which turned out to be Treviso, who had been the worst team throughout the uh, regular section of the league. But we'll put them up against the really good South African team and that'll be the best of the north against the best of the south. <laughs> but you can't claim that this year because, like, the South African teams are in the bottom third of the league. Yeah. So if you have to have some sort of format like that due to travel restrictions, like who cares about the best team in the North mm. beating a team in the same league that's in the bottom third of it? Like that's not worth giving a trophy out over. Um, so that would be a disaster. The issue that I suppose Philip is driving at is that your margin for error yeah. at present is nil because... Monster will be in South Africa for the final two rounds of the Six Nations. The midweek of the Six Nations, when Ireland play Italy, is when they're going to play, or aiming to play, the games that should have been played this week with South African teams coming to, well, two of them coming to Ireland. So then you only have those first two weeks and it doesn't take a great mathematician to work out that if an awful lot of teams have two games to play and you only have a two-week window in which to play them, not much else can go wrong. Now, the other, I suppose, element to uh, to this is the fact that we still don't really know what's going to happen with Europe. There's lots of postponements to work in there. There's still no guarantee that there won't be many more postponements from Europe. We have seen in the past when European games have been postponed that they have been arranged for league weekends with the league then 
forced to work out when they fix their own their own games. We saw that with the um, Ulster ONI game a few uh, a few years back. So, with any more postponements, you're essentially in the position where, as Richard mentioned, midweek games are going to be floated, which I, for one, can't handle because whenever they played Monday games last year, like I never knew what day it was. It was like that week between Christmas and New Year, but all the time. I never knew what day it was. So I'm vehemently against that, as well as the obvious player welfare concerns. (laughs) But majorly the impact on your life. (laughs) Well, as anyone who listens to this podcast will know, my major concern is always how these things impact my life. <laughs> um, but then you're you're basically hoping the teams get knocked out of Europe, yeah. and that's out of your control. Especially when you take the uh, the drop down into the Challenge Cup into consideration. Like, there's only two teams are getting knocked out of the Champions Cup and not playing any more games. Yeah, the rest are going into the the Challenge Cup, and. And at the minute, two of the and at the minute, the two teams that are dropping out of it are not going to be any of the Irish provinces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So something's going to have to give Richard at some stage, is it not? Yeah, you do. I mean, I suppose with I mean, Jonathan's mentioned Europe there, and you do kind of wonder how they're going to iron it all. I know I'm I'm expecting a press release any day now to say that they're going to be deciding that the the last round of sixteen will just be a straight knockout, yeah. possibly to try and fit the fixtures in. It does make it so difficult to give integrity to both competitions, both the URC and the European Cups. Yeah. Um, if they can't find a solution, are they going to award the two points to clubs who didn't get playing their games? And I suppose the big thing is here at the minute, Ulster are sitting in a good position in both competitions and they have points on the board and, and, and that could prove critical as time goes by. Although I do see that they will find a way of getting certainly the URC fixtures played. Um, whether it impacts on Jonathan's life or not is another thing. I just am yeah. easily confused. That's all it is. I'm very <laughs> used to my routine. You just hope that after what happened last season that any restructuring doesn't uh, royally shaft Ulster once again. But uh, that's all we can ask for at this stage. So that's pretty much all we have to discuss this week. That's us kicked off anyway for 2022. Fingers crossed. Ulster will do the same in Munster on Saturday evening. And we'll be back next week to look back at that game against Munster and ahead of the the European doubleheader at Northampton and then at home to Clermont. So for this week, thank you very much for listening. From Richard Mulligan, John Bradley and myself, Gareth Just went out on a limb, did it all myself. Just yeah, but that's all right. Didn't even need us. There was no, no plan to do that. It just it just, just happened. Just happened. We're just in the background. Yeah. We're just in the background. We just we just make up the numbers. Sorry. Right. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs>